Welcome to Common Ground, a talk show encouraging debate and a deeper understanding of hot-button topics in Berlin and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. In our first podcast of the new year, we ask, do U.S.-based tech giants have too much power over free speech? That question is being hotly debated on both sides of the Atlantic as twice-impeached President Donald Trump struggles to communicate with tens of millions of his followers now that he's banned on social media. How did we get here? Senior producer Dina El-Sayed reports. The bans came after the deadly siege of the U.S. Capitol in Washington on January 6th. The attack is widely believed to have been spurred by Donald Trump's claims posted in videos on social media sites. In the video recorded during a rally in front of the White House, he falsely claimed the November election was stolen and urged the crowd not to show weakness. We're going to walk down anyone you want, but I think right here we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women, and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. Twitter later said the decision to ban the president from the platform was, quote, due to the risk of further incitement of violence. Mark Zuckerberg announced that Facebook and Instagram were doing the same. He explained, quote, We believe the risks of allowing the president to continue to use our service during this period are simply too great. The bans, which many charge are years overdue, were damning for Trump. He had more than 88 million followers on Twitter and 33 million on Facebook. But many proponents of stopping online hate speech questioned whether the tech giants had gone too far. In Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel, via her spokesperson, called it problematic. Stefan Seibert told reporters in Berlin that freedom of opinion is a fundamental right that should be managed within the boundaries of the law and not by social media leaders. The Trump bans, followed by Amazon's decision to boot the right-wing chat site Parler from its hosting platform, have brought three decades of debate over online speech to a boil. That was senior producer Dina El-Sayed. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey says, quote, Offline harm as a result of online speech is demonstrably real and what drives our policy and enforcement above all. But who should decide who and what appears online? And how will the decision to silence the U.S. president online affect the ongoing battle between Germany, the EU, and big tech? Joining me for this discussion via Zoom are Bundestag member Renate Künast, who is with the Green Party, Bloomberg opinion columnist Andreas Kluth, Joachim Steinhöfel, a Hamburg-based blogger and lawyer on digital rights, whose clients have included senior members of the Alternative for Germany party, and Gillian York, director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation's International Freedom of Expression Project. Welcome to you all. Hi. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Gillian, I'm going to start with you. Were the social media giants right to ban Trump? or in joining with Amazon to take the pro-Trump social network parlor offline? I think that there's no easy answer to this question. Um, on the one hand, these platforms such as Facebook and Twitter have every right to curate content as they see fit. And yet at the same time, over the years, what we've seen them do is kick off you know, ordinary users left and right for 
situations where they haven't even violated the rules. Now, the other thing that I want to say here is that I think we have to view Amazon differently than we view these platforms which purely host speech. Amazon is much closer to the core infrastructure of the internet, and in many cases, users have nowhere else to go. I think that, you know, looking beyond the parlor example, we can look back nine years ago to WikiLeaks or to the fact that Amazon bans most Iranian users from the platform um, due to US sanctions and see how um, problems can arise from allowing infrastructure providers to, you know, to take the same kind of tactics as uh, user generated content hosts. Well, certainly nothing has gotten as much attention as the bans on Donald Trump, who had so many Twitter followers and so many people following him on Facebook. Andreas, do you think that Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, that they should have banned him earlier? I think they should have banned a lot of people earlier. This is not a matter of free speech. Free speech in the American tradition is about the government not limiting speech. I view Twitter and Facebook as sort of the equivalent of if you had a dinner party, Soraya, you'd be well within your rights in your private home to kick people out if they start um, spouting Nazi conspiracy theories or whatever. So constitutionally, legally, there's no question. But I want to pick up this earlier point because we it's not like we just arrived at this point overnight. Facebook in particular, but Facebook, Twitter, and before that, Fox News, the fragmentation of the media space and landscape has been going on so long that, and we've been talking for so long about echo chambers, about the loss of the village green, about the, you know, the equivalent of the Athenian Agora, the Roman Forum. There is no longer a place where people of different opinion can come together and moderate each other by listening to each other. And I, we've been splintering for a long time into these echo chambers that just confirm our biases and make us more extreme. And Facebook, with its algorithms that only serves up stuff that makes you more radical, is particularly guilty. So, yes, I think they should have gotten much busier and much more active much earlier. And I think there's a lot of catching up culturally that we have to do now. Well, I mean, as you mentioned, the village green is gone and certainly local media has been shrinking at an alarming rate in the United States. That's even happening here in Germany. So in the end, this dinner party, as you will, is really the only forum for us to be able to communicate. So Renata, should these tech giants have the final say over who posts what or should it be up to the governments or the courts? Uh, you see, at the very end, it's, of course, a question of uh, parliament, the ones that are doing the legislative power, the ones that are doing uh, the rules uh, based on the Constitution. And this is, of course, clear. And now I have to add a uh, but. Uh, we have seen in, in Germany, in France, um, Great Britain, due to the Brexit debate, we have seen a lot of hate speech trying to say this is uh, the freedom of expression, but in reality it was hate speech, it was fake news, it was preparation of terrorism, discrimination, and after all these hateful words, sometimes they happen really violence against people, against houses where people lived in and so on. So we have to stop it in some way. But I would say we need rules for illegal content. In Germany, we have it. We are now debating it on European uh, Union level with the Digital Services Act. But there is also the possibility of an owner to decide who is in his home or on his uh, communication platform. But this must also be, at the very end, um, controlled by a speech uh, 
of uh, court. In Germany, this is possible, and I think it is right. Uh, on the other hand, I would say, okay, the digital uh, services did, like Andreas Klitz said, did work with their algorithm and looked for clickbaits. They did, you know, billions of euros and dollars. Uh, they earned by uh, advertising and so on. So I would say we need rules for the illegal contact for, uh, we have to control uh, their house rights if this is discrimination or if it's okay. And um, due to uh, Trump, I would say they should have uh, reacted earlier. And on the other way, they cannot say it is a total ban forever. This is definitely too much because what? We have to look at the details, why? because we are living in an analog and digital world. When the digital level is more and more the level where I go for shopping, where I express my opinion, where I have communication and social context, then you cannot, even it's a if it's a president trying to destroy his own country, the reaction cannot be, this is a total ban forever. Joachim, what do you think about that? I mean, uh, based on what Renata is saying, what the others have said about the ban and the deletion of Trump's comments? Uh, first of all, I agree with a lot of uh, political viewpoints of the Greens regarding the German Network Enforcement Act, but uh, let me start with the legal question. We cannot look at this as if it's the same in the US and, and Germany or Europe. It's a different legal situation. Uh, I disagree with what uh, my colleague from Bloomberg said, that they should have banned him a lot earlier, and this is like a private party. It definitely is not. And that goes back to Supreme Court ruling from 1946, Marsh versus Alabama, where the Supreme Court in the U.S. decided that a privately owned town couldn't restrict the distribution of religious materials because the company was de facto a government. In Germany and Europe, the tech giants are bound by the constitution indirectly that gives us the opportunity to sue them when they erase legal content which they do many times the the general idea that non-elected officials decide if a duly elected president can be muted should give you like a certain amount of fear about the power that these people have America needs First Amendment rights and not just about the Communication Decency Act and Section 230, but they need it in general. So if you practically have a governmental actor that these tech giants are, because, and that was decided by the Supreme Court in the US in 2017 by Justice Anthony Kennedy, who said the most important places for the exchange of views today is social media. They cannot be exempt from First Amendment rights. and. If you look at Trump, it's a simple answer. He's an elected official. If he violates the law, as it beautifully is chiseled in marble above the Supreme Court, equal justice under law, if he violates the law, you should be able to erase what he says, but you cannot mute him. He is, has to be held legally accountable to whenever he violates the law as any other individual, but to mute him and let that happen not by the courts, but by non-elected tech monarchs is completely unacceptable. Now, you represented Alice Weidel in a case that you won against Facebook a few years ago after it failed to fully delete a defamatory comment by a user. So my question is, should this person that you went to court over, should they be banned forever? Or do you think that they too should be allowed to come back? I mean, what's the difference with, with what you see uh, the rules should be concerning Donald Trump and let's say this user who, according to the courts, used a defamatory comment against Alice Weidel? 
I've represented Muslim activists in Germany as well against defamatory comments, but I think it depends uh, what the violation was and if you violated the panel code or not. If somebody has a minor violation of the law of the panel code, I hate the term hate speech because it is not clear mm -hmm. what that actually is. I want people to abide by the law, by the panel code, which describes exactly what you may and may not say. Hate speech is diffuse. Where does it start? Where does it end? And it's used politically to make people reluctant to express their opinion, even if it is within the, the rights of the Constitution. So I think it depends on the violation. If an individual repeatedly violates and violates and violates uh, the law, of course, he can be finally banned. But this must be, and this is the ruling of uh, appeals court in Cologne, Germany, for instance, that must come as a second or third step. It could theoretically be possible that there is a, such a severe violation of the law that would maybe lead to even to an incarceration in Germany that could justify an immediate deletion of this account as well. But you have to look at it as a case by case basis. May I add something on this? Yes, Renate, you may. Um, go ahead. I think this, um, you know, not so precise word hate speech uh, describes our dilemma. Uh, the right wing extremism in Germany and Europe, and I think it's also um, maybe on the civil troops around Trump and others, they precisely know what the panel code or court decision said, what they are allowed to say or what is illegal. And they are educated yeah? You do, they do seminars on how do you write hate discrimination and so on, or write something about, uh, you know, sexual violence against women in a way that you cannot be punished. They always have a way of indirect speech, or they say, if this happens somewhere on an event, I would say, or oh, it's funny, or um, I wouldn't help the person. You cannot get punished for that. And this is the trick. So, okay, I'm together with Johann Steinhofer that we have to make a difference between legal and illegal. But we would not do as parliamentarians, we would not really do our work in a proper way if we just say, uh, the rest, you know, we let uh, aside. We need rules, we need um, court control for the rules, you know, the public transport has, they can kick you off if you are doing any nonsense. And we also need it for this digital markets of communication. And we have to warn the people, we have to look at uh, every and each case uh, on this, that they react, I understand, because I've never seen in a country calling themselves uh, a democratic country that the president is going to you know to encourage the people to at the very end to go to the uh, the parliament and maybe kill uh, Nancy Pelosi and Mike Pence this this is really a horror and the United States will have to deal with that a very long time to get on a on a different level. Well, one thing, Renata, you've had a personal experience with Facebook as well, that you went to court over over years to get a comment removed. And in the end, uh, the courts held with you. But getting that information from Facebook, from what I read, was no easy task for you. What is the shortfall there? I mean, you know, you talk about uh, some of the protections that need to be in place, but even with the laws the way they are in Germany, people like yourself who feel that they've been victimized, can't seem to get any redress. I mean, what, what is missing there, in your opinion? What needs to be added so that there is a quicker remedy than existed for you? 
The first point is, uh, you see, I did all these things uh, at the very end, not for me, uh, but for the situation as a parliamentarian. I wanted to have the public debate uh, on the level, what are we missing and where are the black holes? The one point we are dealing with and try to get better with this is we have in Germany, we have a law on digital services and try to get it better in a way that the services have to deliver information about posts and tweets to the federal police and delivering to the prosecutors uh, in the federal, uh, in the German uh, states so that they can prosecute these and use the panel code. The other point is, uh, and this is why I went to court to, sh you know, to get my right and information, but also to show where we are missing things. We have had two problems. The one thing is that our panel code and some uh, areas is not was not so precise so we changed some uh, rules there and the other point is uh, we need more staff and prosecutors uh, that really uh, you know recognize how it works on the digital level this is not like uh, hating someone uh, or discriminate someone on a on a marketplace uh, 10 people listening and then it's off it's you know 10 of thousand hundred thousand and it's never deleted totally. It's always there and after years can you come to the surface again. And the other point is what I'm doing. I'm going by the civil code, trying to get money from these people so that they see uh, what is um, the very end of it. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk about how the tech giants' bans will affect online speech in the future in the United States, Germany, and beyond. Stay tuned. Now's a great time to tap into some of KCRW's best work. Hear in-depth interviews with the creative minds that drive Hollywood on the business and the treatment. Break away from the dominant media landscape with Our Body Politic, a news and politics show by and for women of color. And don't miss Press Play with award-winning host Madeline Brand. There's more to love, so keep it tuned to KCRW. Welcome back to Common Ground. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and joining me via Zoom are Bundestag member Renate Künast, who is with the Greens, Bloomberg Opinions' Andreas Klut, blogger and lawyer Joachim Steinhöfel, and Julian York of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. We are talking about the unprecedented ban by social media giants of President Donald Trump after his supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol and what all of this means for the digital future of Germany and Europe. Jillian, I want to go back to the developments in the United States for a moment. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey announced an initiative he's calling Blue Sky to create a, quote, decentralized standard for social media. Do you think this would provide a better framework for what people can and can't do online like we've been talking about? Yes, you know, I'm, I'm not so familiar with the details of this framework, but in general, um, you know, I, I want to say that I think 
that when we look at what the landscape should look like for these platforms, of course, we should be looking at this from a regulatory perspective as well. But I think we also have to look at it from a social perspective. And one of the things that EFF has been looking at for a long time is the need for a diversity of platforms. And of course, that allows for both unmoderated platforms as well as more strictly moderated platforms. And I want to go back to a point earlier, which is around the need for transparency. I, I wrote down at the time, I think we need more than just minimum transparency. I think we need more maximum transparency. Um, and one of the things that the EFF has called for here, and we've worked with a coalition of um, now, I think we're up to more than 100 organizations that support this idea uh, on the Santa Clara principles for transparency and accountability and content moderation. And the baseline principles of these are um, hopefully going to be showing up in the Digital Services Act in some form or another. The reality is at this point that the social media giants are making the decisions for us, <laughs> no matter you know how we want to spin it at this point. So I guess uh, let me just play devil's advocate for a moment and ask, should they be not just banning Donald Trump, but Donald Trump Jr. or Senator Josh Hawley and others who've been inciting and lying about the U.S. election and calling for perhaps not directly calling for an overthrow of the government, but certainly indicating that the government coming in isn't a legitimate one. And then you can connect the dots yourself. So uh, what would you say to that? You know, I think that it's a satisfying short-term solution. And I do, you know, I don't want to be dismissive of the fact that a lot of this speech is incitement and in the German context would be illegal speech. But of course, in the U.S., it's not. And I think it's very difficult to make the case there, despite the fact that, of course, platforms have the right to do this because they also have a First Amendment right. But it's kind of hard to make the case um, for private corporations, which have, you know, a sole profit motive to be the ones deciding what is acceptable speech. I've been long concerned about the ways in which these platforms are already kind of meddling in foreign politics. We've seen this with the way that they treat certain groups abroad as terrorists. And again, the U.S. foreign terrorist organization list is much stricter than the European one, which is important to note here. Um, so, you know, I've accused them of meddling in Lebanese politics by banning Hezbollah, but not the other violent parties that still exist in that country. Um, I think that the way that they apply U.S. sanctions is really troubling for the effect that that has on education and speech the world over. And so, yeah, of course, when it comes to this question, I mean, on a very personal level, I'm, you know, I think German has the right word for this. It's Schadenfreude. I'm not, I'm not that unhappy to see these guys banned. But I think that we really have to think about this long term and what we're saying mm -hmm. when we say that we should give all of this power to companies like Facebook, which are not accountable to anyone. And frankly, the fact that these decisions are being made behind closed doors by a very small number of mostly white, mostly American, mostly Ivy League graduates is very concerning to me. Um, and so I want to, I want to, yes, I think it's important to look toward regulation, but I think it's also important to look at the history of advocacy with these platforms and the ways in which users and civil society have been really, frankly, the ones to push these companies um, previously towards better policies. We have to continue along that stream as well as regulation. Renata, let me ask you, because of what the media giants have done with Donald Trump. Do you think they should be doing the same, let's say, with Viktor Orban or with uh, other leaders who have made comments and statements that are problematic at best for the EU or for other countries? Now, you see, um, this shows us how difficult the question is. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I'm convinced, like Gillian said in some points and others, we have to look at the details. On one hand, it's definitely not possible to think about, you know, these uh, uh, platforms. They are like um, international government, not driven by uh, an election, but only by the money and the influence, you see. 
uh, that it's unbelievable that they are the ones deciding that um, an elected uh, leader of a country or parliamentarian or whatever, they ban this person. Uh, this should be the basic rule. So no way. And despite of the point that I also had like Jillian some schadenfreude on the first thought, I know that we are on a very thin uh, ice uh, on this. We, we cannot allow this to them. On the other hand, we need some rules or so where we can say we can, on the other hand, not allow someone to have a platform where, you know, people use it like some here did it. And we have other examples. For example, I know the example of Myanmar, where Buddhist and military persons, Buddhist monks and, you know, higher up and military persons organized violence against the Rohingya people, where the mo a lot of them were killed and a lot of them are under unbelievable conditions in Bangladesh now, in refugee camps, and their Facebook also kicked them out. Uh, so we let us discuss the details. And, and I think it's, it's very difficult. It's not for a good for a half an hour debate on a podcast. Here we can say there is a problem. And on the other hand, we cannot say someone who was once elected is allowed to do everything and call for the storm on the parliament, but where at the very end the people uh, call hang Mike Pence. So there must also be a possibility uh, to stop this. I don't have the solution for this, but what I want to say is maybe on this part it was right and that the fear is very big uh, we all see just how much military you have now and the capital to make sure that uh, the 20th of january is working and the inauguration is uh, going so that you have a new legitimated uh, president we have a lot of questions but we are on the way to find solutions and even these uh, we have to discuss something like blue sky is an idea but we have to focus on the even on the economic power and the influence and the algorithm. It's not only like blue sky, uh, you know, civil society sends some papers with wishes. That is not enough. Joachim, let me ask you, I mean, Chancellor Angela Merkel, who's certainly no friend of Donald Trump, spoke out against the bans and said they were problematic, according to her spokesman. What do you see in that answer? I mean, what is your reaction to it? And um, do you agree with her? Uh, let me add one or two sentences of what we have just heard before. I think we lost focus a little bit in our debate on what is at stake here. If big tech can shut down the president, what stops them to doing the same to Joe Biden or any other elected head of states? We cannot allow unchecked power to make extra constitutional political judgments under the mantle of private enterprise. That said, uh, Angela Merkel in this respect is a complete hypocrite because she met with Zuckerberg in 2015 in the Waldorf Astoria in New York, and there was an open mic, and she forced him to mute criticism on her immigration, migration politics. That is on the record. A uh, little later, we had the Network Enforcement Act that, the, and the Greens agree, I think, to a very far extent with this point of view. Mrs. Kuhnast was chair of the Judiciary Committee in 2017 when this law was debated, and eight of 10 expert witnesses explicitly said that they consider this law unconstitutional. And this is Merkel's law and Heiko Maas, former Justice Secretary of Justice Law, that exactly Mostly does. Heiko Maas. Yeah, yeah. But Merkel was strongly favoring that as mm. well, and they still do. I've been an expert witness in the meantime in this committee as well, and I've, I've been following this very closely. So I think, Renato, we agree to, to 
a major extent on the problems of this law. So yes. this does exactly that, that it moves the decision who, which content and which users are muted to private companies. This is, we have these centers where Facebook and Twitter erase content on a massive scale. I call it this digital mass execution of free speech. It sounds a little uh, much, a little bellicistic, but I think it, it meets the point. Uh, so Merkel is the one who is as well responsible, her government is, for establishing a law that moves the decision to the private companies to mute content, and now she complains about it. This is hypocritic in its rhinus format. Well, Andreas, there's another danger that's talked about, and I'm wondering if you if you agree with it, and that is that if you're banning them on these major or, or regular sites, banning people on, let's say, Twitter or Facebook, that you're going to end up sending these people to fringe sites and secret chat groups where the conspiracy theories and the anger and the hatred are just going to go on unabated and perhaps lead to incidents like last week's attack on the Capitol. Yeah, and I think that's already been happening for for years. Um, so you're going from a large cesspool and trying to clean it up, you create smaller but more virulent cesspools uh, with more disease in them. So, you know, you, after parlor, there will be something else. And it's, it's to me, it's part of this long-term trend of fragmentation. If, if I just wanna, I also think we got a little bit sort of, uh, we drifted in the debate a little bit because we keep talking as if Twitter and Amazon, as if they're gonna rule us forever. If you go back to the 60s, there was Walter Cronkite mm -hmm. and CBS News in the US. And Nixon said, if we lose Cronkite, we lose America. By the 80s, you had CNN, and then soon after Fox News came and started splintering. So that's not even digital media. And then one social network after another, and at the moment we happen to be with Twitter and Facebook, and I'm not sure they're going to be, you know, how long they're going to be around. And we all have the choice because, you know, Joachim said somebody with power is muting the president. Nobody's being muted. He's the president. He, he should have on that night walked into his own press room. And he's the first president, by the way, mm. to use Twitter in this way. So we all have the choice of going to other platforms. We don't know how this will shake out. And so, yes, in the moment, I, I, I'm very pessimistic because I think we're self-segregating into more and more virulent cesspools and losing the ability to talk to each other. But if I could just throw a note of optimism, I think Wikipedia, Jillian might have a thing to say about that. I think it's 20th anniversary right about now. And that's sort of one, the last remaining sort of instance of the village green working well, because you have extremists meeting and having edit wars, but somehow they still manage to agree, at least on facts. Yeah, I mean, I, I do actually agree with that largely. Obviously, there are definitely some problems on Wikipedia, um, but I think that it really speaks to the importance of process and the importance of having clear rules up front. But it also is the fact that site like Reddit and like several others empowers their users, which is something that the more centralized platforms don't do. I did want to disagree quickly with one thing, though, which is the idea that we all have other platforms to go to. I think that when you're Joe Biden or Donald Trump, you definitely have plenty of other platforms to speak on. Um, but when you're somebody living in Iran or Egypt and your government is censoring the vast majority of other platforms, sometimes these centralized platforms are the place where you can get the word out. And that's why I've focused over the past decade on yes, but Jillian, those folks. Just, just one, one comment. What you just said is in Iran, it's the government censoring. 
And that's a free speech issue. Oh, of course. We're not that... talking about a government censoring anyone in the case of Trump and Twitter. No, no, I agree with that. But I'm, but I'm, what I'm trying to say here is that these platforms don't only censor Trump; they also censor Iranians. And additionally, so they're actually assisting the Iranian government in some ways by creating, you know, fewer spaces for those folks to speak. I mean, that's of course a separate issue because it's sanctions. But if we look to Egypt, um, that's another place where when these platforms wrongfully take down Egyptian users, which they regularly do, it's well documented. Um, you know, that's why I'm I'm less concerned about them taking down Trump and more concerned about all of the other people who've been wrongfully deplatformed. Well, we're running a little short on time, and I do want to address the future for a moment, and that uh, deals with Germany and the rest of the EU, which, of course, is considering the Digital Services and Digital Market Acts. The drafts came out last month. These laws are going to be debated for a while to come. Um, What impact do you think this debate that has been now launched uh, to the forefront about who controls the message, who controls who gets to use these platforms, you know, what impact do you think that's going to have on these acts, especially since the aim was to sort of level the playing field and make tech giants more accountable? For for Germany, for Europe, I hope this will have the impact that we really recognize on European level we are in a hurry. And we have to debate on this Digital Services Act. We have to go on with the debate by, for example, organizing a European communication platform where we can do some rules. You know, we are we are now, you know, laying down just only acknowledging that there are big tech giants that uh, very slowly uh, run around the world and are organized everywhere. Maybe we should try, even if it's late, for legislation, but also to do our uh, own European uh, platform for communication. uh, maybe I don't know if this will work at the very end, but the minimum it, it will is it will show that uh, we are not passive and do not only you know take the things the big tech giants and platforms uh, are doing. Maybe this also gives us more more influence there. The biggest problem there is they are organized internationally, and we don't have an international world government or world parliament. So. We need big regions like United States, like Europe, for example, that go on and uh, show how it or try to to rule how it could be. Joachim, do you agree? I look at the German situation and what I think there are four simple things that should happen. First, that means something else in the US, of course. Stuff the courts, which means have enough mm-hmm. uh, courts available for these issues of free speech. If you are deplatformed, demonetized, or muted in another way, which is not the case at the moment. Do the same to the state prosecutors. So if panel code violations are there, they can be followed up. Go to a state prosecutor and his office and you start to cry in Germany. Then there's a small addition plans um, in the Network Enforcement Act that would make it possible in the future to file everything, legal paperwork, to a German address. That would speed up the process of suing big tech in Germany massively because now you have to send that trial and that takes long, long, long. I was talking my mouth dry in the Judiciary Committee to convince the representatives to do this. And finally, my suggestion there as well was to implement a lump penalty. That means pay 100 euro per day that somebody is illegally muted or blocked on the platforms. That would be a strong counter incentive not to overblock, but to give us or the users a financial incentive 
and the platforms as well, because then they have to pay for that if they make the wrong decisions. That will work. Everything else is not leading anywhere. And I t I'm talking from hundreds of cases against these platforms. I know what I'm talking about here. Jillian? Since you're uh, obviously lead the Freedom of Expression Project, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I I, I don't do our uh, most of our European policy work, so I can only comment minimally on this. But I do think that um, what we're going to see from the Digital Services Act in particular, at least or what I'm hoping to see, um, is the inclusions around transparency, accountability, appeals, remedy, which I think is one of the key things that we haven't talked about much, but that is absolutely necessary, again, in all of these other cases that I'm looking at, um, but as well as interoperability and user controls, which are two things that don't get emphasized quite enough in the regulatory discussion, but which, again, would put a lot more power back in the hands of users. Andreas, do you want to add anything? Um, you know, I, I don't want to leave you out since the other three had a few minutes to talk about what they felt. I would just say... That, I mean, personally, I'm, of course, I'll pay attention to the details of, of the act when it comes out, but I don't want to get caught in the weeds because we're placing so much faith in the ability you know, of regulators to solve our problems. There's a quote I like from the French Revolution from a philosopher at the time who said, every society gets the government it deserves. And I've always believed that every society also gets the media it deserves. The problem is we've in the past generation or so lost the ability to have a civilized debate with people who disagree with us. And no amount of regulating will change that. And unfortunately, I see for the foreseeable future, this fragmentation and the animosity, you know, will continue. And we have to find some other, I think, cultural um, solution to this, and we probably won't. And to be honest, I'm quite pessimistic about that. And I don't think any act will change that. So a lot of really good food for thought, and obviously we have many more questions uh, than we do answers about this topic. That's our show for today, and I'd like to thank my guests, Bloomberg opinion columnist Andreas Klut, Bundestag member Renate Künast, who is with the Green Party, and digital rights blogger and lawyer Joachim Steinhöfel, and Jillian York, who has the Electronic Frontier Foundation's International Freedom of Expression Project. I'm Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and thank you for listening. Please join us again next Monday for another episode of Common Ground. You can download all Common Ground episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great week.